0: Hello. Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded EventWrite with Stephen Key over, about, I think it's about 22 years ago now. Um, before we get going, if you could type in yes, if you can hear me. Um, usually there's only a few people at the beginning and then a lot of people show up a little bit later. I don't know what's up with that. Should be right on time, shouldn't you? But if you, one of you that are you are here already, because like a fair amount of people, Uh, I could type in, yes, that you can hear me. That would be great. Okay, excellent. I know my microphone is working because I've had mic problems off and on before. Um, Just a little disclaimer, everything I'm sharing today or this evening is not to be considered legal advice. This little fun disclaimer, please consult your attorney if you want legal advice, blah, 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 blah. And this is not legal advice. You know know how it goes. Um, So, uh, oh, somebody said it starts... I don't know if you're joking. It starts at 710. Uh, huh. I didn't know that's what it says online. That it starts Maybe that's why I'm always like, how come people are showing up late? Um, I, I'll check on that. Thank you for typing that in. I, I would try to say out your name. J. Bell Diggs Daydream Garden. OK, I probably didn't get that right. But thank you for letting me know that. I'll, I'll make sure, take a look at the, what our team is posting there. I don't didn't know we made it at 7. Yeah, you know, I think we had it like 10 minutes later because I would back it up against like some other event that I was doing and I needed 10 minutes to get ready. Um, huh. Okay. Well, now I know. I, now I'm not so insulted. People are showing up 10 minutes late. But we're going to get going here for those of you that are new. And about 10 minutes in, I'll I'll mention that. So uh, uh, the other thing that I want to say besides the legal disclaimer is um, just the thing that I say at the top of every one of these, if you guys have been attending, these probably getting um, uh, a little tired of it, but I think it's important for those of you that are new and it's the benefits of licensing. So when you license, I'll keep it super short. It's their money. It's their workforce and it's their existing distribution. So in other words, you don't need to raise money. It's their money. They're going to invest their money. Sometimes people are like, Am I going to be partnering with this company? No, no, you're you're licensing to the company and you're receiving royalties, but it's going to be their money. And when I say their workforce, I mean sales, marketing, advertising, manufacturing, everything. And they got this machine with all these people, and maybe they have 10, 20, 30, 50, 200, 300 products, however many it is. And your product is being plugged into that machine and they know what to do. And so, even though a lot of these companies not a lot, but a fair amount of these companies aren't as creative as you guys, and that's what they need you. That's what they need you guys for. Um, they are very good at, you know, manufacturing and selling and distributing and marketing products. You know, um, so you got to give them that. You know, and they're doing all that, so you don't have to. And then if they're already in thirty thousand stores, boom, you're in thirty thousand stores. So you had existing distribution. Retailers don't want to talk to one product, one SKU companies. Um, I admire people that can start a business and sell their one product and get into a major retailer. It's very, very hard, if not impossible. And then even when you do it, you won't stay in there very long if you don't have a whole product line. And now it's like oh, I have this one invention and now I've got to have this whole business and I'm working 80 hours a week. And so when you're licensing, you don't have to do that. You're tapping into their money their workforce, their existing distribution. You don't need to run a business and you don't need to be that one SKU, one product company with product in the garage. So um, let's just jump in and start answering some questions. So we're all about here is, is licensing. But if somebody had a, a question about going a different direction with regards to licensing, I can answer that as well. Um, James wrote, do you have any recommendations for software or companies that can I can use to create my sell sheet. Um, Yeah, I I really, unless you have a design background, James, I don't recommend inventors should do their own marketing materials. I think you should do your own marketing materials in that you should create a rough draft. So when our students are working with our coaches, they're creating something rough and then they're going to send it, they're going to make sure it's good marketing, good benefit statement, some bullet points, right pictures, contact information. I'm getting it in six to 10 seconds. That's not easy to accomplish. Very, very hard to do. And then once the coach and the student agrees, like, yeah, it has all the right components, then they send it to our design studio and our designers make it pretty. So uh, whether you're using our design studio, um, which you can find on inventright.com, James, or you're doing it somewhere else, I always recommend that you are the one in charge of the marketing. A lot of graphic designers, um, they're not marketers. And so if you give them your marketing and your marketing's not good, they'll make it pretty, but it will be a pretty piece of junk, you know, and if it's not accomplishing that six to 10 seconds, I understand what your product is in six to 10 seconds, then it's not good enough. And so there is software out there, there's Canva, there's different um, uh, online solutions where you can create your own brochure or sell sheet, however you want to put it. But and some of them are actually pretty good. But I I just don't think that most inventors, you know, uh, graphic designers aren't that expensive these days. Um, there's You should really put your best foot forward and hire a graphic designer to make it pretty. It doesn't have to be us, but it should be somebody because it's not expensive. Um, so do I advise you to get software and put together your own brochure? We Some people call them brochures. We call them sell sheets. Um, no, I don't think you should. I Have I seen a few that were good enough? Yeah. Have I seen tons that were terrible or not quite good enough? Yes, a ton. And if you're going to make the effort to reach out to like 30 companies, do you want to send something that's, eh, okay, or, oh, boom, I get it, and it looks professional, you know? So that's uh, my take on that, James. Uh, let's see. Jeff said, my idea takes a patented technology from one sector and applies it to a patented device in another. My approach um, slash PPA addresses the systems and not the devices themselves. Is this a valid approach? So he's saying he's taking a patented technology and applying it from one sector to a patented device in another. So my, my answer is always... When you take a technology or a product and you're moving it over to a different industry for a different purpose, you always want to say, what are the problems with that? And that's a good thing. So what are the problems with that? And then what are the solutions to those problems? So you want you to actively look for problems there. And so I think it's something that you can do. And quite often when you move something from this industry to this industry, oh, well, It's going to operate a little different. I need to put a hinge over here and I need to do this or I need to do that. So how is it going to work differently? And quite often, because it's for a different industry, a different application, it is patentable and you can do that. So but specifically what Jeff's question was, my approach to PPA addresses the system and not the devices themselves. I I don't without looking at the product, um, Jeff, I couldn't understand what you mean by system. I mean, I get generally the idea, uh, but it's really going to depend on the product. So whenever we look at our student stuff, um, it's always going, well, what's different from bringing it over here to over there? And you're going to be protecting um, whatever your point of of difference is. And quite often it will be patentable because it's for a different application. So you're not violating the patent that's in that other area, um, hopefully. Uh, which quite often is the case. So I, I answered the question as best as I could, um, considering that I can't look at your product. And by the way, uh, don't disclose your, anybody disclose their product live on here, of course. Um, so let's see. Uh, Andrew said, great name, by the way. Uh, Thanks for this webinar. I have an idea that I will need some electronic engineering can't afford engineering and a working prototype he said he can't cannot afford it do i get a virtual a vc or try to get a license with no working prototype do i get a vc i don't know if you're talking about venture capitalist or you mean vp virtual prototype um do i get a vc or try to license with no working prototype i think he's saying do i get a vp which is a virtual prototype um you know, I, I think that it's it's an electronic product. You can't afford the engineering on it. So what I would advise you to do, Andrew, is take a look at um, other products in that space. And with your non-electrical mind, just, just standard consumers like you and a lot of the people that are showing up here, look at other products and go, well, they made that electronic product. And it does this. It shows the time. It beeps at this point or whatever it is. And they're selling that for $19.95, and mine works different, but it's close enough. So I think I, I know that they can make it one, and I know they can make it for around that price. And you would be amazed, Andrew, at how often you can make those assumptions. So I would say a huge percentage of the time, Andrew, our um, students can look at similar things and make assumptions as if it can be made and at what price, Right. So now if you can't do that, then that's where you kind of might want to, you know, hire an electrical engineer to go, is this thing going to work? And that can get really expensive, those electrical engineers. So see if you can um, absolutely look at other things. People always go, well, there's nothing just like it. I'm like, well, I didn't say just like it. I said kind of has the same features. Maybe it's a different industry. It's the same amount of plastic It has the same electronic features, It's, um, but it's not doing quite the same thing, but kind of the same thing. So you can make assumptions and believe it or not, you can actually tell companies when they show interest, well, there's that and that it's at that price. And I'm just changing this up. And so I'm pretty confident you can make it for 29.95 and it's okay to, to do that, uh, Jeff. So, um, that wasn't Jeff, that was Andrew. Um, so yeah, I would say if you can do that, get a, you could get a virtual prototype And you could pitch it, pitch the benefits of the product, because that at InventRight, we teach, you're not selling your prototype or your patent, you're pitching the benefits of your idea. So whether, so if it's an electronic product and helps you wake up in the morning or remember things or to take your medicine or whatever it is, um, uh, that's what you're truly selling you're not selling a patent or a prototype. you're selling the benefit of the product, and the marketing person who you're sending to needs to look at it and go, "Oh yeah, my customers will want that you know um so for those of you that are just joining us um I, I was i've been I've been doing these for a while now at four o'clock Pacific, but I think in the notifications you guys get um it's saying that it's at at 410 or Eastern 710, or you accommodate for your time zone. So it was always like, why is everybody always showing up late, you know? And and then um, a few people typed in, no, it was promoted for 10 minutes past the hour. <laughs> so now I know. I think we'll just keep it at 10 minutes past the hour. And I'll just start doing it at the correct time. So it's totally my bad. So, um, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. So if a few of you have if you've been attending these. And maybe for a couple of weeks or months or whatever, and you're always like Andrew's always like already going when I show up, and um, then you know why? Because I've been starting it ten minutes early for I think quite some time, um, which is funny. Uh, let's see. Hey, it's free. Don't complain. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, handy the sock. That's quite a that's quite a handle you got there, Handy. Uh, what's up, Andrew? What's up, Handy? And then uh, Carlos said, hello, Andrew. Um, uh, James said, do you have any recommendations for companies or software for creating cell sheets? Okay, I answered that early on, guys. So if you didn't hear that before, you can listen to what I said there. Um, uh, Handy said, do you have, uh, and by the way, type your first name if you want, so I can address you by your first name. But if you have a silly handle, I can do that as well. Um, Handy said, do you have, uh, any recommendations on how to pitch a character property? Yeah. Um, so you got this new cute little character or it's gross or it's funny or it's edgy or whatever. Um, you can definitely license that, but my comment is it needs to stand up on its own. So some people are like, oh, I want it to be a TV show and I want it to be this or that. So here's, here's my comment to that. If it's on a T-shirt, if it's on a coffee mug, if it's a little doll or whatever, and if it elicits a response on its own without anybody having watched a TV show or (coughs) seen a cartoon or read a book or anything like that, you're good to go. And those responses could be, oh, so cute, or, oh, that's gross, or, oh, that's, like, cool, you know? And so my answer – who had that question – that was handy. Um, my my answer to it is, does it elicit that response? Because you can't like, it's like putting the cart before the horse for everybody to want to buy all these merchandise for a TV show that's not a TV show yet, right? But there's plenty of characters that, or dolls or different things that kind of stand up on their own without having anybody seen anything or you the proper packaging on it. So that was, uh, I think, a, a very good answer in that I've been giving that to people for years. And it's very true. And that's speaking from uh, having seen people work on different products and things. Um, So some people, when they have a character property, um, there's all this backstory and stuff, right? It's like, well, do you really have the opportunity to tell that backstory? Or do they just have to look at it? You know, maybe there's a saying or something underneath the picture of the character or what have you, and that says it. But if if somebody needs to ramble to me for thirty minutes to explain who these characters are and what they're doing and what they're all about, and it's people can't just look at it and get it, well, then you're screwed. So so that would be change in handy if you need to. But if you're good to go, then and it meets my criteria there. Then you're good. Um, and of course, you know, so every time when, when we share with our students, or we share with the public, like on this um, live YouTube stream. Um, there's, everything's not always black and white. So don't try to make it that way. But what we usually share, Stephen or myself, for the most part, it's true. Most of the time, there's always exceptions. Sometimes I'll get somebody that becomes a student and I'll be talking to them and they're like, but you said on a show, this and this Andrew. I'm like, yeah, that, that applies most of the time. But for years I would go this direction, you know? And so, um, I, I get people that have been watching a YouTube show and then they become students. And then they're quoting things that we said on the YouTube show. I'm like, well, it doesn't totally apply for your particular situation. Now, I would say most of the stuff we say applies most of the time to most people with most products. But don't try to make everything always black and white. You're creative. You understand that. Um, uh, Okay. James said, uh, who asked a good question before also, "I I want to be an event rights student, but can only afford one or two months at this time. We haven't found one or two months is enough to get somebody up and running. Um, you know, there's going to be so many questions and so many things. that also, we want to be there for you during that interaction and that back and forth with the company. And that's not all going to get accomplished from the second you sign up to um, and start working with your coach on your, your sell sheet, your list of companies, your PPA, um, starting to reach out to companies, takes some while to get back to you. That can't get done in a month or two. What I would say, James, if you're kind of limited financially on the the one-on-one coaching, you could do the group coaching, the academy program, as opposed to the one-on-one coaching, and maybe that'll work for you. Also, another thing you could do is just uh, save up over a period of time, just like s- save up every month, and then sign up six or eight months from now. You're Like you're the fact that somebody's going to come up with your same invention the next six or eight months um, is so unlikely, uh, you know. It, So that's another way you could approach it. Um, uh, Lynn said, what if you have a product that crosses industries like tech and fashion? How do you market that to potential licensees? Well, you know, companies are going to pretty much, I love that question, Lynn. um, They're going to pretty much do what they do now. If they sell electronic products, they'll be okay with selling electronic products. If they're not doing electronic products and you're going to convince them to do one, probably not going to happen. If they do textiles, they'll do textiles. You don't try to get companies to do something dramatically different than what they do now. So um, Lynn mentioned um, tech and fashion. So there are companies that do uh, wearables where it it combines some sort of electronics and something you wear. And there are companies that don't, you're not going to go to Calvin Klein if they've never done any electronic wearable product, convince them now to do a wearable electronic product. But you're very likely to convince companies that are already doing wearable electronic products, if that's the case, by the way, fashion is just brutal. Um, The fashion industry is a brutal industry. Um, You know, all they do is knock each other off. You can't get patent protection for the most time. Not for you, Lynn, if you have a wearable electronic, but just for fashion, it's just a design and that's not patentable. Um, You can get a design patent. Those with, with, as far as clothing goes are very easy to get around so with, with fashion, that's just a brutal, brutal industry. But if you have something that's in fashion and it's functional and you find companies that are doing functional fashion is patentable, yeah, uh, then then that's doable. So um, let's see what's the next one. Uh, P. Dub said, do I have to fully understand how the technology behind my invention works? GPS, Bluetooth, combination, XYZ. Or does licensing licensee figure that out? Well, I I addressed this earlier with uh, another question in that I was saying if you can look at similar products and most of the time you guys can do this and make assumptions as to whether or not yours could be done. So let's say the product has has GPS and Bluetooth in it. You know nothing about GPS and Bluetooth, the technology, but it doesn't matter because it's your hinge on the product that makes a difference. And you can look at other products in the market that GPS and Bluetooth that do what your product does, but then you've got this hinge and it's an attachment mechanism. And let's say it's a wearable and it attaches for a new GoPro camera or something like that. I just got, it's my birthday yesterday and I got a GoPro camera, which I would never have bought for myself, but my wife bought it for me. And I, I can tell I'm gonna have a ton of fun with it. Oh, it's right here. Um, like you guys don't know what a GoPro is, but now I gotta buy all these accessories for my bike and for my backpack and all that stuff. But anyway, um, I might not understand how this GoPro works, but it's about my attachment mechanism. So the question is, do you need to understand all that? Now, if what you're doing, P-Dub, is um, you're telling them, well, you should do this with Bluetooth and you should do that and you should just Wi-Fi and you have no idea what the frick you're talking about. That's not good. But if you can go, well, that company used Bluetooth and I see they're sending a signal to do this. So therefore, I'm fairly confident that I can do it with mine too. Not only that, and you can reference that and actually reference those products. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, that is over there. And you say, well, but we're going to do it a little different and I want it for this purpose. So um, you can actually absolutely, absolutely uh, do that. But if you had a gardening trowel or you had a home storage organization product that was like just a box or something to organized silverware or something. And then you've got this product over here that's really technical. And your piece of it, your improvement is technical too. Don't freaking work on that one. Work on a simple product, right? But if your piece of a technical product is not technical, why not? They understand the technology or you can just show that other people have done that technology. But if if what you're doing is highly technical, you have no freaking idea what you're doing and you can't cite other products and how yours is just a little bit different, then you shouldn't be working on that, you know, because it's going to cost you a ton of money to figure all that out and pay engineers. And, and that's not good. And, you know, we as consumers, we interface with a lot of electronic products these days, the GoPro, an iPad, this or that. And so we have ideas for apps and, and electronics and things. But if, if, if what you're doing is kind of pie in the sky and you have no idea how it works, then you're going to come across a little bit crazy. Um, but at the same time, a lot of times you can cite similar products and they're like, oh yeah, it's very clever. So hopefully that, but anyway, I answered that question just, I don't know, 10 minutes ago and I answered it again for you P-Dub, but, um, it's a common question. So I think it was worth kind of more or less <laughs> answering twice, um, Okay. Andrew was talking earlier and he was saying, thanks for the answer earlier. I meant venture capital. Are, and, venture, and are there VCs that invest in ventures? So, venture capital, or as I like to refer to it, vulture capital, um, jokingly, and kind of not. I, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I grew up around vulture capital. I don't like it. What I love about licensing is you're tapping into the company, it's their money their workforce and their existing distribution. With Vulture Capital, you're you're looking to beg people for money to start this business from scratch. And they more or less, Andrew, don't have money for inventors because um, because you don't know how to run a business and they don't want that. They want somebody that knows how to run a business. So if they're going to give you half a million, $2 million, whatever, um, they need you to run the business. And yeah, they put a team together, but I call it vulture capital because they just pick the company apart and they want so much and they work you in the ground or they just kind of shove you aside really quickly, get all these all these screwed up contracts. And yeah, I got a very biased viewpoint of vulture capital or venture capital. Um, now, if you want to start your a new Facebook or a new this or that, you don't have any choice but to do vulture capital. But I personally don't like it. And with licensing, when you get the money, the workforce and the distribution all in one place, it's way better than vulture capital. You know it's way better, but people are like, "I want the money, I want the money, I want the money." But they're not going to give you the money because if you don't have a background in launching businesses, why the hell would they give you money when you just have an idea? So for vulture capitalists or venture capitalists, as I should be calling them, they don't want to give inventors money. Now you could put, then you could put a team together. Well, I got this guy; he's the management guy. I got this guy, and they probably wouldn't pull up and find their own guy anyway. Um, I just find, you know, you get you, you get scammed a lot of the time by these. Vulture capitalists. They're scammy. They're sleazy, if you ask me, a lot of them. Now, again, if you want to start your own new Facebook or something, there's certain industries, you're not going to license a new, a next Facebook, a next this, a next that um, in certain areas. Uh, That wasn't very specific, was it? But if you got consumer products and all sorts of stuff, you, you don't need it. I don't like that direction. Now, if you're really passionate about starting your own business and you need to go big, really big. But why not tap into a really big company and that's going to get you quicker to market than starting this new company from scratch. So if you license to a really big company, they're going to get it. They have everything in place already. The money, the workforce, the distribution. They're going to get there way faster than if you raise venture vulture capital and you got to start this new company from scratch and you're just giving everybody else plenty of time to knock you off. So there's my extremely biased kind of funny viewpoint, but that's my take on it. But this whole thing, I just need money. And that's the same thing with the Shark Tank thing, right? And they're like, does he get the money? Doesn't get the money. Makes for great TV, but licensing is way sexier than Shark Tank because you get all those things. You get the money, the workforce, the distribution all in one place. When you go on Shark Tank, I don't care if it's a shark and yeah, they might be connected, but do you really think they're going to, let's let's say it's a product, a hardware product, and you're trying to get into Home Depot and Lowe's. Do you really think they're going to give some shark that's on a TV show that people forgot, forget about it two weeks later, uh, the time of day compared to this big hardware company that has 15 products in Home Depot already? There's a giant difference. So, but it makes for great TV. It's good TV, Shark Tank. But the reality is licensing is a hell of a lot sexier than that TV show. It's a hell of a lot more intriguing. The fact that you don't need to run a business, that they're going to. Do it all for you. So there's my very long answer, Andrew, to you for the: Do venture capitalists um, invest in vendors? For the most part, no, they don't. Um, now I'm sure you can find some exceptions. Really high tech, big idea, something like that. And for certain ideas, it might be appropriate. But I, I just don't like it. And I grew up in Silicon Valley. I don't don't like it. Don't like the whole vibe. It's just really weird, sleazy vibe. And I shouldn't. There's, I'm sure there's plenty of cool venture capitalists, but by and large, don't like the vibe. That's my personal opinion. Um, Okay. Jeff said, I'm working on a flying pizza oven. For instance, doing research, I found someone in a forum five years ago say, someone should invent a flying pizza oven. Does that create a prior art situation? Okay. So he's using that as an example. no, I don't think that's prior art saying somebody should invent a flying pizza. And that's just his example. It was probably something else. Um, if if they just, if you just say somebody should invent a robot that jumps up on your roof and shingles the house, that's not prior art because there's no art there. There's no there's no like, well, here's how it's done to it. So that's not prior art. Now, if they disclose, and I think there should be a flying pizza oven, and here's how it would fly, and what they disclose publicly now is public disclosure. But if they didn't disclose certain things about how it would be done or how it operates, then it's just uh, they're throwing out a concept. So that would not be considered public disclosure, or it wouldn't mess you up. It would be public disclosure of that concept, but it's not – if you then created a flying pizza oven that um, had these mechanisms – then you know they you can't protect a concept to begin with when you invent something you're not this is my non patent attorney way of explaining it you're not patenting your invention or your concept you're patenting pieces of it without this hinge without this without that functionality that utility that functionality somebody couldn't make it and it wouldn't work well so you're patenting pieces of the idea and this is my non patent attorney again way of saying it so that people understand it. You're not patenting a concept, in my opinion. Now, in, in a roundabout way, if you patent these pieces, you can patent the concept because people can't do it without those pieces. But you want to think about all those different ways you can do it and include that. So when somebody has this abstract idea, I, I I have a I think we should do a flying pizza oven discloses in a public forum. I don't see that as a big issue. Of course, it might. Of course, uh, disclaimer at the beginning of the show was, this is not legal advice. Consult your attorney for legal advice. Um, But I think that was a great question, Jeff, because I think it helped everybody else kind of understand, because I think people have that type of question quite often. Um, Stefan said, if you're, or uh, Jeff, Jeff or Stefan? Oh, at Jeff. Oh, he's giving Jeff advice. He said, if you're patenting the system, read carefully what the patented tech in the original field actually protects because usually technologies protect the system they are based on. So yeah, I think that's good advice, Jeff. Um, uh, Let's see. Fez here. I have an idea regarding after factory product for cars. Okay. So he's saying it's not something that goes on the car at the factory, but after I call it automotive aftermarket, which is way better trying to license to something that goes on a car at the factory Brutal. Just shoot yourself in the head right now. Don't do that. Just a joke. Uh, but trying to license an automotive aftermarket product, big market, lots of companies, very open. We've had many students do it. We did have one student uh, license to a major automotive company, but that was an exception and brutal. And um, so let's see. I have an idea regarding uh, aftermarket uh, automotive accessory is really difficult. Is it really difficult to sell the idea to big manufacturers or should I have someone some success in the sales on my own first? You should definitely just go after um, the automotive aftermarket first because it's so unlikely you're going to get those companies to move. But the big automotive companies might move and integrate one of these things once they see it working in the marketplace. Um, Big automotive companies are just uh, Tesla aside, just so not innovative. Um, they're 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 getting their butts kicked right now. And I think they're trying to work on it. A lot of them are working on electric cars and stuff right now. Um, but they've been very slow in the past. Um, are they better now? Yeah, they're better in the past. They were horrendous in the past, but I still think they're pretty slow. With that said, when you think about everything that goes into making a car, that's pretty tough. You know, I mean, you got to give them that. I mean, the engineers, all the components and all the pieces and stuff. Um, I was watching another YouTuber talk about Chinese cars. And he was uh, was actually from South Africa, but he was living in China and talking about the experience living in China and his experience driving a Chinese car. And you just, they're absolute junk, he was saying. They're just absolute junk. Um, So you think like, well, China's so good at knocking stuff off, but even they have a hard time knocking off and making decent cars, maybe because they're trying to make it so cheap for the China market. Maybe that's part of the problem. But so even though I'm beating up, automotive manufacturers for not being fast about innovating, you know, what they have to deal with with so many components. I mean, you got to give them that. It's pretty amazing. So, um, so yeah, Fez, if you have an automotive product, I would go for the aftermarket. Um, if you want to go ahead and present to the major automotive companies, you can. It's almost a waste of time right now, but I'm just saying that to, to exaggerate, to make a point. Hey, Dana. I see Dana said, hey, Andrew. Hey with the H-A-Y, huh? Okay, cool. Uh, I'm just kidding, Dana. Um, so hopefully that was helpful, Fez, and everybody else that ever wants to work on an automotive product. Um, Virgo76 says, I submitted a product. The company was interested. They did a search and found in-house prior art. Can I submit to another company? Um well, first off, if you could have them show, share that with you, that would be fantastic. Um, they they found in, oh, in-house in prior art. So what he means is they're saying that there's products that they're working on, either working on or are patented. Um, and they're saying we found a product that either we're not sure, either worked we're working on or patented, and it would be a conflict. So no. Um, so what he's saying is, can I submit to another, um, company? Uh, you know, if it's in-house prior art and it's not something, what, what I would do is, you know, the company now. So I'd look and see if they have any patents pending or any things that are patented and look at the details and see if you're like, oh, well, okay. I see that they're trying to get that, but I don't think they'll get that. So I don't think it's a problem here or there. So, um, (laughs) that was weird. (laughs) Uh, what I would do is I would look at any patents that are public for them, but I wouldn't move forward with it. I mean, cause you don't know what they're saying. Maybe that was just what they said. Cause they, 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 they wanted you to move on or they just weren't interested, you know? So I would continue working on the product, um, you know, definitely. Um, but again, that's not legal advice. And I, but I would search for any patents they have pending. Um, I don't know if most of you know this, but when you file a patent, not a provisional, but we file a patent after 18 months, even if it's not issued, because it takes, it takes, you know, the patent office uh, two, three years to get back to you. And then they have what's called office actions, which is I, I, in layman's terms, I say, it's an argument between your patent attorney, and the patent office, about what claims you're going to get. So when you file a patent after 18 months, it'll go public, but it won't, it, it, what you filed, what you're trying to get. So I get inventors all the time like, oh, I found a patent and there's no way I can get around this. And I look at it and I'm like, that's not a patent. That's a patent pending. And that's not issued. And that's their dream of what they're going to get protection on. But the patent office is probably going to give them all that. So anyway, um, uh, Virgo, uh, I would take a look at this company since you know the name of the company and see what's coming out. And so they might have filed something. Um, they might be BSing you too. So just to not work on the product because of that. So yeah, I would definitely submit to other companies. Um, let's see. Du, du, du. Scotty says, any discount for your programs in the near future? We just did a July promotion because usually just before kids are going back to school, people are, are kind of busy. Um, where we gave an extra month and an extra sell sheet and virtual prototype. We don't do that very often at all, um, but we did that for July. But that promotion's over. We don't do a lot of, of promotions. We're pretty straightforward with things. Um, but if you want to talk to uh, Scotty, if you want to talk to Sylvia or Dana, our salespeople, you can talk to them about that. Um, let's see, Ortiz do product sell sheets need to show a prototype or are drawings okay? Well, yeah, scribble drawings are not okay most of the time. Um, you know, it needs to look good. You know, it needs to, so you could be a virtual prototype. So drawings are okay or a virtual prototype is okay, but it needs to look decent. If it's just so um, crudely done that it's distracting, that's not going to work. And you can get folks, we do virtual prototypes for our students to do Virtual prototypes pretty affordably these days, so I would recommend and you definitely never want to include patent drawings never ever I mean, have you ever seen an advertisement and it, it the the drawing of the product is a patent drawing or a CAD drawing? No, you haven't. so don't ever do that. Don't be so proud of your patent drawing. Well, I'll just send them a copy of my patent or I'll just throw that drawing in my in my um, marketing materials no so uh for the most part, drawings are not okay unless they're professionally done or they're a virtual prototype i, I would say that for the most part no um, but you know we talked about don't always think black and white, but I'm telling you most of the drawings that I've seen I'm like dude you can't don't 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 make that your marketing piece picture no um, uh a l- a Leonardo said, following up on James's question about affordability about, and he was talking about getting coaching with us. What about doing a single month and taking some time working on his own then saving up and doing more? I assume James isn't too keen to wait. No, I mean, we found that if the coach is connected over a period of six months to the student, and we expect the student to do two to six hours a week, Um, working on their projects, you get this momentum going. Doing it in fits and starts doesn't uh, work very well. So I would suggest just waiting and then going gung-ho with us. Um, The fits and start thing doesn't really work. Both the coach and the student lose momentum that way. If I thought it would work, we would do it, but I I know it doesn't based on the 22 years we've been doing this. Um, uh, Scotty said, is there room for improvements on packaging products for industries or the industries are not open to that from outside inventors. So Stephen, our other co-founder, he's made millions on packaging um, innovations and inventions. Um, you can definitely look for packaging innovations. It's a great place to be working, but it's it's brutally difficult compared to a regular consumer product. So if, when I have a new student come on, they're like, "Hey, I got this packaging." And just for if you guys don't know what we're talking about, when I say packaging innovation, I mean like. A new toothpaste tube, a container that something goes in, um, a new packaging, you know, some sort of packaging product. I think you get the idea what packaging is, right? So, you know, they're selling them in bazillions of units. You know, it's crazy amount of money that's involved. So the thing you need to know about packaging is if you increase the price just a few cents, that can kill it. Now, if it's really good enough and it offers enough benefit, they might tolerate it. But if if somebody's selling a toothpaste tube and increase the cost of toothpaste tube, 30 cents, you're, you're dead in the water. You know, you're just dead in the water. That's not going to work. So you need to realize that. Um, so it, it has to be cost effective um, and it has to be manufacturable and at a very reasonable price. But, you know, when they're doing packaging products, they're coming off the line like 100 a second or some crazy thing like that. That's an exaggerating to make a point. Depends on the ma- the machinery. So it's not just would this be cool, but can the machinery make it at the speed they need to make it in order to make it cost effective, you know? And so if I had a new student and they had a packaging product and they had an equally good, like, um, you know, uh, automotive accessory or uh, something for the kitchen or something for the garden or something for the home or whatever, I would say work on that simpler product first, because with a packaging product, you need to have lockdown understanding of manufacturing and then patentability surrounding that. There's so much money involved. So it's what I call a treasure chest project. You're going to make a ton of money if you do a deal there, but it's much harder to close a deal. And they'll put the screws to you on what you're protecting and how it's manufactured and all this. Whereas if you have a simple kitchen gadget, it's like a new kitchen cutting board. And they're like, oh yeah, I see you just did it in different shape. And they're like, you know, you filed it provisionally. they might be like, mm, we don't care. You know, we'll pay you regardless. Where the packaging people will be like, they're not saying this literally, but packaging would be one of the few industries where it's true that they're going to try to figure out a way around you if they can. And it, they're going to beat you up about its ability to be manufactured. And there's a bunch of research to do. So um, let's see. who Who is asking that question? Uh, that was Scotty. OK, so Scotty. um, it's a it's a terrible first project to work on. We've helped uh, our students that are new to work on it. I give them what I just said there and in more more in depth, and they're like, no, no, I, I still want to do it anyways. I know it's harder. I know it's going to drag. The deals will, the deals will drag much harder. to Close those deals it might even drag past a year or something like that. Where regular consumer products would never happen if you're doing something wrong. If it's happening, um, and and they're like, no, I still want to do it. And and the, what I really like is when people insist on doing that, I go, well, okay, but work on a nice, simple consumer product. So you can see the stark contrast between working on a packaging product and working on a nice, simple consumer product. And it's a really big difference. It's a world of difference. And some people are like, oh my God, I never want to do the packaging one again. Some are like, you know, I like it. I like having that treasure chest project that I can earn a ton of money on, but I also like the simple product. I I'm always have like one difficult one and maybe a three or four, like, a couple simpler ones. And, and, and then other people are like, no, no, I just want the treasure chest. Usually you don't hear that, but so hopefully I gave you perspective that it's, it's brutally difficult to do a packaging product, but a ton of money, you can make a ton of money with it. And because there are other co-founders made millions of those types of products people kind of hear him on YouTube and they want to gravitate towards that. And him and I are very honest about the difficulty of closing those deals. And it's really, ideally what I would have you do, Scotty, if you ever become a student or you're just working on your projects yourself, um, work on a nice, stupid, simple project, get your feet wet, understand licensing first, and then come back with at least one product under your belt to a packaging product. That would be the ideal scenario. We've had students, we've told them this. They're like, no, I still want to do it. And we're like, okay, we can help you. Um, now, you know, you need to know what you're in for and and they've still enjoyed it. You know, But if I didn't tell people up front that, um, a lot of people would be like, why didn't you tell me, Andrew, why didn't you tell me it was going to be so difficult, but it just is. Uh, let's see. Carlos, you said your question was skipped, but I don't see a question from you. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where you typed it in. Maybe you typed to another YouTube show. I'm just kidding. Oh, here it is. I see it. Uh, is it wise to disclose that you have I'm just I was just joking, Carlos. I do see it now. Is it wise to disclose that you have a working prototype to your attorney? I don't know what it doesn't matter one way. There's, there's just an attorney. Who cares what your attorney knows or doesn't know? Um, is it wise to close your over? It doesn't matter. I don't know why it would matter. Um, you know, I, I would say that when you have um an attorney. Writing a patent or a provisional patent for you, I'll say what I always say is your attorney is only as good as the information you give them. So would it be good to let them know you have a working prototype or show it to them or so they can better understand your technology and your product so you could do a better job patenting it? Yes. But I don't know why you say, is it wise? Yes. I mean, I don't know. Like, don't hide stuff from your patent attorney. Why would you ever do that? I don't know if that's what you're saying. But um, So hopefully that was helpful, Carlos. And um, let's see. Uh do, 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 do. <laughs> Garrett said, I, I sense an upcoming video, nightmare stories about Andrew's experience with VCs. You know, I, I can't say my experience is firsthand. Um growing up in Silicon Valley, I just you know so many people that dealt with them. I I went to VC mixers, I did all sorts of stuff um, where I was, I had speakers that were VCs, but no, I didn't have a bad experience myself with VCs. Um, but, but that is funny. Um, let's see. Stefan said, he was mentioning the Javier, I recommend you go through your inventions with your coach, and pick the best one for, for the first one, learn to fish one fish first, but if you're good at the homework, you'll go forward with more. Yeah. And I don't, Stefan, I know you're a student, but I don't know if Javier is, but um, yeah, I I, I think, you know, we have plenty of students that when we work with students, we always insist, we say, you can work on multiple projects, but never out of the gate. Coming to two or three out of the gate is overwhelming. But if you work on one, you get some experience and then you're like, I understand the basics, how licensing is. And now I can work on two or three at a time. So I think that's very good advice. And I think it's um, carefully picking which one you work on first when you have multiple ideas. Not all of you have multiple ideas. Um, If you do have multiple, I suggest you do look at them all. And when our coaches work with our students, they're going over the upsides and downsides of number one, number two, number three, and the coach is recommending number two. And the student totally thought number one was the bomb. And they're actually saying, no, you know, after number two, I'd work on number three. Number one's kind of going to be kind of difficult. But you could probably, if you do this research, that research, come back to me and talk about it. Maybe we can make it work. But I have these concerns about it. So going through, I agree with Stefan, with the coach. Upsides and downsides of different real life projects. Your projects is very beneficial. Not all our students do that from the get-go because they're really obsessed with one particular idea, but the ones that have multiple, I love that we do that for our students, which we do, because it's teaching you how to evaluate different ideas and what are the upsides and downsides specifically with licensing in mind. Um, you could talk somebody's ventured a bunch of products, and we would use different criteria for licensing. Um, let's see. Uh, Jose said, "Covid trends with manufacturing, are they holding back?" So I love that question. Actually, I was going to record tomorrow morning, a uh, YouTube show about what are the what's going on with Covid and licensing. So I'll cover some of what I'll cover in that YouTube show right now. Um, during uh, the really midst of, of of Covid, when it was really bad, we had more students licensing than ever. It was kind of a trip, um, but it's not all roses. So any company that doesn't innovate, doesn't come out with new products, um, is is gonna die. You know, I mean, they just are. And, and unless you know their business is just very generic products and they're very good at distribution, that's valid point. But any company that's doing anything innovative at all, or has competitors that are innovating, and their company's just a me too, they got to innovate. So you're their free research and development department. So during COVID, and um, you know, sometimes the companies will cut back on R and D, but you're continuing to send them ideas, so you're their free research and development department. Now, I think any company that cuts back on R and D and new product development when things are tough is stupid. Some of the it's been proven that some of the best companies are the ones that actually invest more in R and D and new products when things are 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 down. You know, um, so uh, during COVID we experienced more deals than than ever. Actually, I was surprised by that, but it's not all roses. So. The, the downside of it is, which I don't think is a big downside, is the, the deals, it was aggravating to our negotiation coach, Paul, and some of our students. The deals were taking longer to close. They were taking longer to get approval. The, but the reason why they weren't giving the thumbs up as quickly as before, which is never as quick as you guys want it to be, it's usually you know a couple months, um, is it was taking longer to get quotes in China to make sure it was manufacturable and at a reasonable price. And so because they had to do that, it was taking them for longer to okay and sign the deal. Now, the other downside right now, so I don't see that as, you know, so what? So it takes a longer negotiation. You still get the deal. And we've had more students do deals now than, than ever before. Um, so I don't see that as a big negative, but it's, it's, it's stressful for new inventors. The waiting game drives people nuts. Um, the other thing that uh, we're experiencing now is it's taking longer for the companies to get the product out there. We've had, we have this program called bridging the gap where we're bringing on companies just to talk to our students. This is just to our students. And they're saying, this is what we're looking for. Specifically, we've had some really big companies come on. It's been amazing. We've already had a few students licensed products that way. Um, And it's, that's exclusively for our students, something that we do called bridging the gap. Um, And, a bunch of those companies have said, "Man, our container costs are killing us, man." It's like we used to spend four or five k for a container to ship product over here from from Asia, and now some of them are spending twenty k, you know. And and it's slower too. Everything is slower, so it's taking obviously it's gonna those royalty checks aren't going to come in as quickly. But again, companies committed to it. Companies still making it company is still launching it, but it's taking inventors longer to get their royalty checks. So longer deals, longer time for the product to get out there. Um, I I talked to one company, one of the bridging the gap companies that came on. I said, so I know it's still a factor now, but I think I'm guessing. I said, I don't know because I wasn't sure. And I said, a year from now, I think that'll be, they won't still be charging you 20K. He's like, oh no, no. They're just like." They're just milking it, taking advantage of the situation now because the supply chain got all messed up, using that as a reason for for milking it. But um, so I don't see that as a long term issue. Um, Now, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting problems that that COVID created for the supply chain. So um, it'll be interesting to see um, how that affects um, things. We've had some companies say, you know it was a lot of, of brick and mortar retailer. And then when COVID came it went a lot to these online retailers or some of them buying direct from their website that really weren't selling much from the website. Um, and now it's shifting back to brick and mortar retail, but, um, it's, it's changed retail forever without a doubt. and you know, it, it had to have helped Amazon, you know, like they need any help. Um, But uh, so that was just some things. I'll probably come up with some more stuff when I record that YouTube show tomorrow. So if you guys want to check that out. um, uh, So Sam wrote a question on average, how many inventions do your students have in the cooker? So, um, you know, we're all about empowering our students so that we can set them free and they can say things to us like, and I've had students say this to me and then I forget that I told them they should say that to me. I get it, guys. I don't need you anymore. I can keep my products. If I get it over my head, I'll come back. But I I got it. And so um, when people are new with us, we do have inventors that have 100, 200 ideas. We have other inventors that have one idea. And I say, you know, we're going to by working on this product, you're going to actually get real life experience. So now you can do this for the rest of your life and you don't have to have other ideas now, but do you have the intention of working on more? Cause I always want to qualify that. If somebody said, I got this one idea and I never want to do this again, I go, don't sign up with us because you're to learn some, how to do something that's so cool to license products and then never come up with another idea and try to license it. You know, I, I say, yeah, we're make sure you do and say everything in the one project you're currently into. But I want you to be excited about licensing more. You don't have to have those ideas now, but I want you. And, and almost every inventor I talk to is like, oh, no, no, no yeah, I want to do that. And some are like, "Nah, never want to do this again. I'm 84 and I don't want to ever do this again. And I go, you know, I don't think you're going to get as much out of the program. Um, I'm very honest about that. Um, so, my God, what was God, what was the question here? I don't even remember what the original question is. Oh yeah, it's from Sam. On average, how many inventions do your students have in the cooker? So um, yeah, and and so some of our students they'll they'll come on, they'll work on the first one, and they'll be like they start to get the calls in, and that's like you're in follow up mode then, right? And the LinkedIn messages in, and then they'll tell the coach, you know, hey, can I work on another? Coach will say yes at that point, and then they can work on multiple. So nice people will come back and they'll renew. So nice people will come back a couple of times and renew with us. And they're working on like six or seven or eight or 10 projects or three or four projects. And so um, in the long run, um, we have students that they just always want one on the side. And maybe they work on two projects a year. These are, this is after they've left us, you know, and they, they got lives going on. It just makes their life exciting. And then we got others that are always working on three or four at a time. Or always like seven or eight or ten at a time, so it really varies quite a bit. But I would say on average that most of our students, when they keep going beyond us, a lot of them I don't think are working on more than than two or three at a time. But I think that's pretty common because um, after a while you start to understand that it's a it's a numbers game and and all that. But I think I think if if people just worked on if let's say somebody joins and they're in their mid thirties and they just really become empowered because they worked on a project or two with us and they were going to work on a one product, two products a year for the rest of their life. I think that's fantastic because life is freaking boring sometimes and inventing is not. And it's really exciting the potential you have with this big company. Cause I always you guys may have heard this before, but I always joke with licensing, you can have delusions of grandeur And you're not delusional because this big company, it depends. They can sell 50,000 units, half a million units. It depends on the product. And that's not craziness. But for you, start your own company, make it sell it yourself and expect to be selling half a million units when you have one product, one SKU company overnight. That's not realistic. But it's not craziness and not delusional to think big. This is a better way of putting it, to think big when you're licensing. It's okay to think big because these are big companies. And for them, that's normal. But for you doing it on your own, it would be big. So I think that's really exciting. And so and you you might license your second or third product. Not everybody licenses their first product. So thank you for that question, Sam. So I don't think there's an average, um, but I can tell you when people come on board, I don't care if they got 100. We say just one until you get those initial calls and you don't have to be done with the project. Then you can work on multiple. So we have plenty of people that will work on multiple during their six month membership with us. Um, Let's see. John said, prototyping a new hardware item, and I'm close to going to the fabricator to to a couple hundred pieces made. Uh, How do I protect the product without a patent in place? So why do you need a couple hundred pieces? So I'm just throwing these thoughts out there, John. I'm not saying what you're doing is wrong. But let's say you sell 100 units. Do you think that's going to impress this big company? No, it's not. They're going to be like, you be like, well, I sold 100 units. They'll be like, you only sold 100 units. Whereas if you just show it to them, in their mind, the sky's the limit. So the question is, why are you making 100 pieces when you could be licensing this to a big company? Do you want, and I, I'll tell you why a lot of inventors do it. Um, you want that positive reinforcement from a customer that's saying, oh, I love your product. You know, But if you know people will love your product to begin with, and you show it to a marketing manager or a big company, Let them go, ooh, I have a good feeling about this. Like, you don't need 100 customers to tell you they love their product. And, yeah, it would provide you with some testimonials to say, you know, we love this product because of this or that. And you could show up to a potential licensee if you're licensing it. Um, But saying you sold 100 units ain't going to impress anybody, you know. So, uh, you know, and then you're worried about how do I protect the product without a patent in place? you know, well, first off, you're working with a contractor that's going to make 100 units. You can have them sign a non-disclosure agreement and with an improvements clause that you own anything that they come up with. But why are you making the 100 units? At some point, you're, I'm assuming, going to be putting them in the marketplace, in which case you should definitely have a provisional patent in place at the very least. So I think you might be in that, you know, it's a one way conversation here where you just typed a little something. So this is just learning experience for everybody, but. You don't might not know where you're going. I find a lot of inventors don't know where they're going, but they get this false sense of moving forward. So if your goal is to make it and sell it yourself, okay, great. Get 100 made. Start selling them. But if you don't know what your goal is, which I'm assuming you don't because you would have tuned out because this is all about licensing. If you're like, oh, I don't know which direction I'm going. Well, then stop. Just stop right away. Don't go getting 100 made. You don't know what direction you're going. You need to decide, am I licensing or venturing? And for licensing, I don't think it makes any sense for you to make 100 units, okay? And I see this all the time. People get a false sense of moving forward by getting prototypes made, by getting 100 units made, and they're just gonna sit in their garage by giving a whole bunch of money to a patent attorney. And it's truly a false sense of moving forward. Understand the path you're gonna walk down. So watch our YouTube show, John. Get our book, One Simple Idea. It's only like, I don't know, it varies between like 13, 15 bucks on Amazon. I I never know what the price is, but it's called One Simple Idea. One Simple Idea. Get that book. You can go to inventright.com. There's links to our our books on there. Get that book to understand. And you might say, no, I I still want to make it and sell it myself. But understand the benefits of licensing first and see if that's the path you want to go down. As it's just a waste of money to get 100 units made if you're going to be licensing it, okay? And you're also concerned about protection too. So where are you going there? You got a lot of things to, to think on. Um, and then you also said, how much does an NDA cost to have written and does it offer enough protection? An NDA, we, Steve and I have talked about this, it's just perceived protection, you know? Now, I have never had a prototyper or a graphic designer rip off one of our students, I've never heard of it. That's not the business they're in. They don't know how to monetize and sell or license products. So John, is that guy that's gonna make you 100 units, some fabricator, know how to market stuff? No, he just knows how to fabricate stuff. So you know, you can sign an NDA, have him sign an NDA, but I would file a PPA, a provisional patent application. You can do that yourself. Um, if you become a student of ours, we give you software to do it. You can get that on our website too for 99 bucks called Smart IP. So provisional patent is better protection. But I always advise if you're working with a contractor, always have them sign an in NDA anyway. Even though it's, I think it's just perceived protection, I would have them sign an NDA. Always do that with contractors. And if they flinch for even a second, I wouldn't work with them. Um, but they don't, they're don't. they not wired up to steal your idea. You know, it's just I've never seen it in 22 years. It could happen. yeah. It, have I seen it happen? No. Um, let's see. So we're at three minutes past here. So guys, I want to thank you um, for for letting me know that publicly we've been promoting this at 10 minutes past the hour. And I'm always showing up on <laughs> the hour because I think that's freaking hilarious. Um, and I will show up at 10 minutes past the hour from now on. I will be on next. Um, I know I was on vacation for a little bit there. wasn't doing regular Mondays. I'll be on next Monday. If you want to, if you're considering becoming a a student of ours, go to InventRight, click on the Contact Us page, book an appointment with Dana or Sylvia. They're super friendly. Maybe you're just curious about it, want to talk to them about it. They will never hard sell you. We're a really mellow company. So if you want to know more about the coaching, you can book an appointment with them through the Contact Us page on InventRight.com. One way you guys can help me out because I helped you guys out for a whole hour for completely free is to subscribe to our channel. If you click on the subscribe button, if it already says subscribe, don't click on it because that'll unsubscribe you. Click on subscribe, watch a bunch of our YouTube videos, click thumbs up on this video and all our YouTube videos that you watch. If you don't like it, just don't click on don't click thumbs down on that one. Just click thumbs up on the one you like. I'm just kidding, not really, but um, that's the way you could help out, um, and that just helps the YouTube algorithm and helps us and but we really if you're not subscribed just click on the subscribe it doesn't do anything it's not like oh now i'm going to get spam emails from them or something it doesn't that's not how youtube works so please click on subscribe it helps us we want to go um and and reach eighty thousand subscribers i think we're at 50 something and we want i'd love to reach eighty thousand subscribers in the next like six months or so that would be really cool if you guys could help out with that that would be great um And if you have any thank yous, you can type them into the the chat. And I want to remind everybody, take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.